Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I want to look at this foundational truth that of drawing near to God in faith. We're looking at the matter of what is foundational for the Christian life. We've looked at what is foundational for life in general. We're going to see that today again as it weaves its way in and out of this scripture passage. We want to look at this, uh, this foundational aspect of faith and how we see that in light of a very uh, heavy and weighty sentence. As you listen to these words this morning, consider what your reaction would be in light of such heavy words. I'm going to be rereading what we've looked at already, starting in verse 14, where God speaks judgment upon the serpent and a curse upon the woman and upon the man. And then verse 20 really uh, ought to, to strike us as we hear what Adam and Eve do in response to God's command. How do you respond to, to heavy words? There's two extremes, right? There's either fight or there's flight. Some say, well, if someone's going to come at me with something heavy, then I'm going to go toe-to-toe and I'm going to go right back at them. Others will say, well, if there's, uh, uh, if there's something coming heavy at me, I want to I flee. I want to get away. Well, in this uh, account here with our first parents, we're seeing the first public profession of faith in verse 20. And I want us to take note of that this morning and I want us to think of how it's, it's set in, in, in this, this very heavy situation. The curse is kind of hanging over them, as it were. God pronounces curse upon uh, Adam and Eve, and yet they see also his word of promise found in these verses and respond in faith. Listen to, listen to the word of God as it's found Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 14 and going through verse 20. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. Just a comment on that before we go on. There's some, there's some commentators who say that, that the serpent didn't originally crawl on its belly. Now, I don't know if we want to go there. I think it probably did, as I talked about this before. It's a picture of the humiliation that, uh, that Satan would endure. But the, the point they want to make there is when, when the man, the woman, see what happened to Satan, when they see what, what was said to him, there is this, there's this fear. Just imagine, well, what's, if he said that to, to Satan, what's he going to say to us? What's he, going to, what's he going to say? Going on, verse 16. To the woman, the Lord God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam... The Lord God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, 
for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. People of God, I don't know how that last verse strikes you, but I find it a bit surprising, especially after what God has just said to them. He said to Adam and to his offspring that you are from dust and you shall return to dust. You're going to die. The future is looking very bleak. And yet Adam says, my wife's name is Eve, meaning living. And The statement is because she was the mother of all living, she was given that name. Well, there's a number of things you could ask yourself. Now, is is Adam acting rebelliously here? God has said you're going to die, and he says, well, my wife's name is is, is Eve, and that means living, so I'm not listening. Or... Is it that he's ignoring God's word, simply just saying, well, I'm not listening to what you're saying. Selective listening. I like the one part, but not the other. Well, remember what Adam has heard. He has heard in verse 19 that he is going to die, but in verse 15, he has heard that there is going to be offspring from the woman through them as male and female. God promised offspring from them. There is a future, and he shows us what is foundational for living with hope in the midst of the fall. Adam shows us, Eve shows us, what is foundational for living with hope in the midst of the fall, and that is living by faith, or living in faith. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrew, uh, to the Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. We cannot come near to God who is life apart from faith. We cannot come near to God unless we believe that he exists and come to him believing his promises. Even in the midst of great hardship. Adam's faith is seen in the name that he gives to his wife, Eve, meaning life or life giver. Adam is given grace to believe what God says. And that's what we need, dear people of God. We need God's grace to believe what he says. I think sometimes we don't maybe appreciate the, the heaviness, the weightiness of this fallen world because we're, we're, we're largely blessed. We, we have uh, much that, is, uh, that we can be thankful for and we don't maybe yearn for that which is to come. But imagine that you've been in paradise and, excuse me, and you've now heard this word that you are under a curse and you shall die. Well, it doesn't take too much imagining, does it? Because we're all going to die. We're going to face death. And yet, in the midst of it, God is promising a word of life. The Lord puts enmity between the woman and the serpent, between 
uh, his offspring and hers. He says there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any partnership there. That's a gracious thing. That the woman would not pursue Satan's way. God would not allow Eve to be overcome by Satan to join his cause. And his seed would not be deceived unto rebellion, but would prevail. His life would be proclaimed far as the curse is found. Far as that curse is found to the ends of the earth throughout the universe. And he, this seed, would deliver God's people through his action and send his spirit and keep his word, protect his word in order to beautify the bride, his bride, the church. That's what he's doing. He's preserving the word so that you might hear it, so that people around the world might hear it, that he might build his church. And it's one thing to hear the word, but then we need to respond with a believing heart about what it says concerning us and then how we can be set free from the curse that hangs over us. Adam and Eve's marriage was in serious trouble here. There was hostility. You remember what Adam said when when God came and asked him, "What, what, what have you done? And he says, the woman you gave me. She's my enemy. She's the one that messed it all up. There are serious problems here in this marriage. We have to understand that. And only by God's grace is there reconciliation. Satan understood from listening, from observing, that without a man and a woman, there is no future. There is no offspring. Without harmony, without oneness... And then a built-in covenantal understanding from generation to generation. This whole thing could be a train wreck. He understood that then and he understands that now. That's what's behind his strategy to get male and female to compete rather than to cooperate with each other. To compete rather than to covenant with each other. Adam and Eve's hostility endangered God's plan. As I thought about that, I, I, it brought me right away to, to the words of Paul in Ephesians 2. But God, in keeping with his great mercy, made us alive in Christ. That's what needs to happen. We need to die to this old self, to this self that is, that is now dead in sin, and need to, we need to come to life. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be reconciled to God and to one another. We heard it in our form today for preparatory. That we're not only being united to God, but we're also becoming more and more uh, uh, family, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Through Christ's shed blood. If this most intimate relationship could have been destroyed, the present would have been poisoned and the future would have been in doubt. That's what's happening in our culture today. There are many who have noted that in our culture today, we have a culture of death. It's been even titled that. We incentivize marriage that will not result in offspring. 
We declare that it is a right of the woman who has, who conceives because of sexual activity, that she has a right to destroy that offspring. We're doing everything that we can in this culture to destroy the future. It's a culture of death. And we, as Christians, are in this trying to swim, as it were, against the stream. That's what we're doing. By saying no. By God's good plan, the earth shall endure, uh, seed time and harvest, Genesis 8. All of this will endure until Christ's return. And as we are living in this world, we're to live by faith, confident of that, not believing what they tell us, that if another child is born into this world, the earth is doomed. We're, We're going to overpopulate. We stand against that and say, no, God God says we are to live together that life might result. And because of this one who was prophesied, the seed of the woman, even the Lord Jesus Christ, we are confident that all is going to be renewed. They didn't see it in their day. They didn't see a renewal of of paradise, as we'll see in in just a few moments. We aren't seeing it now in the sense of in its fullness, but Christ is coming again, and he will renew the heavens and the earth, and all will be given to him. Think about Adam in the midst of this as as we're considering this whole idea of faith. It would have been easy for him to say, I, I've, I've blown it. There's nothing worth living for. There's just nothing worth living for. I, I've ruined it. But instead, by God's grace, he believed God's promise and saw. He saw the part that he was to play. And he was reconciled to his wife recognizing that there needed to be a working together, a cooperation, not a competition, a holy habitation, that there might be offspring. He gives his wife the name Life, Life Giver, Eve. And that really is a summation of the gospel promise, life. Remember when Jesus comes to Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus, and he's talking with them, and he says to them, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Christ is life. That's who we set before the watching world. For you see, Adam had given his wife another name. You remember back in chapter 223, he had called her woman. That also had a significance. He said, behold, woman, she shall be called woman, for she has come out of man. He's talking about the importance of the two becoming one, that there might be offspring, that there might be unity for the purpose of a fruitfulness, a filling of the earth and subduing the earth. He saw the oneness that could be there. Now he names her life. I thought many times. I thought of the many times that God renames in the Bible. When the Israelites were rebelling against God and they did not know their master, and and Isaiah has that troublesome task of telling them about this, he comes to them and and the word is that you are forsaken. 
for you have forsaken me. He says, that's your name. You're forsaken. You are desolate. You are not fruitful, but fruitless because you have rebelled against me. But the Lord says in Isaiah 62, I will give you a new name. My delight is in her. God gave hope with new name. The future was again bright for they would turn and trust in him as they believed in him through the gift of faith. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the land came under a curse. All seemed desolate. All seemed forsaken. But God, through Adam, declared life, future. Another time, the days of Hosea, you remember they were, uh, Hosea marries a prostitute to, to be a picture of the nation of Israel uh, uh, being an adulteress before the Lord. And the Lord says of, of Israel, these are not my people. He says, name the child Loami, not my people, to communicate to the Israelites that they are not my people in the way that they're acting. And then according to his mercy and grace, he declares that he would work faith in them and their name would become sons of the living God, inheritors by faith. Adam's confession seems so simple, and yet that's what makes it so beautiful. He looks at his wife and says, life. His faith was immediate upon God's promise. Life, according to the Lord's word. He had hope for the future. He didn't ask God for a sign. He didn't come with objections as we see in other places in the scripture. Well, I'll believe if you do this for me or I'll believe if you show me this or show me that. He believes. Friends, your faith needs to look like that. My faith needs to look like that. That we need to trust the Lord that his word is true. No matter what the culture says is going to happen, no matter what doomsday predictions are being made, no matter how challenging it may seem, we say, no, in God there is life. Now. It's how we get out of bed in the morning. It's how we press on in our work, in our leisure. Confidence that God is working in us a greater image of himself. God wants to give us hope. And you know, he sometimes, he often does this right in the place of your greatest failure. I want just to notice that this morning too. Adam has just committed this cosmic failure and God yet comes and says, there will be a future for you. The love of God on display here is astounding. <laughs> and, and we sometimes think, oh, I, I really blew it this time. This, this has got to be the last the last possible opportunity I'm ever going to have. And God in love comes to us and says, look up and live. Turn from death and remember my promise of life. He loves you and he wants you to have hope each day for the future. The scripture puts it this way, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the one who has faith can draw near to him 
For he rewards those who earnestly seek him and those rewards those who hold unto his promises. We need to remember that God has something greater for us. We need to remember what God has rescued us from. Sometimes we get distracted and we forget. Sometimes the summer can be the hardest. We're just having fun. We're going here, we're going there. Not, not a real tight schedule, or maybe it's a tight schedule, but it's all for fun. <laughs> and, and we forget that we're living for something more, and we've been rescued from something that is devastating. And we're headed for, for that day when we will see our Savior face to face. Adam is a wonderful example for us. He's a wonderful example for us in his simple faith, his immediate response, and his, his focus in the midst of a, of, of a real potential for despair. After making this cosmic mistake, this sin. Why do I say he's an example for us? Because we have the whole counsel of God before us. Adam didn't have all that. He didn't have all the promises. He didn't have all the, the prophets and the, and, and, the, and the illustrations of the Old Testament. He had God's one word. We have the word. We hear it from week to week. We're reminded of it from day to day. We can open our Bibles and, and hear God's word. And yet, so often we doubt or we become uh, uh, distracted. We need to remember how Adam hears this dim promise of a seed. And how he believes. What an incentive for us. Next Sunday, we hope to celebrate Lord's Supper. In that sacrament, we see God saying to us, I've given life. I've given life to you, the life of my son. Believe in him that you might have all your sins forgiven, that you might come near. Well, we move on then to see the faith of Eve in this passage. She received that name. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. She was... Uh, she had been created out of Adam, as we read earlier in Genesis, to be for him. But rather than being for him, she stood against him by following Satan's lie. How heavy it must have been upon her to think about what she had done. Yet when Adam gave her the name life or life giver, she received it. Not long after this, chapter 4, verse 1, we read that she conceives and gives birth to a son. Before this, her her her. Best hope could have been, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to give birth to another like me. I'm going to give birth to, to more uh, uh, trial and more tribulation. And to be sure, there is that, isn't there? There's an increase in the bearing of children, pain and increase of bearing children, but also in raising children. Think of what happened. Her first son, we'll look at that, Lord willing, in, in, in coming weeks. She, she names him Cain. From the Lord, I have received a man. Here he is. In, in effect. Like, well, this is, that was quick. That was easy. But, but it wasn't so easy. Because this son, this son would kill his own brother and live apart from them and from God. They would be driven out of the garden. They would have this child and then he would kill his own brother. There's hardship. There's hurt in 
this. And yet there is a confidence that they played a part. They had a part to play in God's plan as each one of us here does. That's what we need to remember as we press on with the awareness of our own sin, with the experience of our own sin, is that God is not done yet. He continues to work as we believe in Him, as we believe in Him for His promises, not only to to, uh, deliver us from our sin's curse, but also from its power. In faith, we press on and draw near to God as Hebrews 11.6 says, in the face of the stain that sin has left on the world, we must remember God's word that life is coming again. It's a struggle to believe. We see such evil, but we walk by faith and not by sight. The one who made the, penned those words was none other than the Apostle Paul who knew about suffering and hardship. Yet he said to remind himself and all of his readers This is how we live. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. There is a deeper reality just beyond our natural view. If you don't uh, believe it, read the book of uh, the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Last book of the Bible. Fascinating to read that. I was reading it again this week as I thought about that. Just all of the things that are going on that John sees that that we don't see that are going on we can't see and yet in it we see victory in it we see coming renewal victory of the seed of the woman the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming renewal upon his return God intends for our faith to deepen we don't have mature faith from day one God grows our faith through testing that the tests come so that we might learn to rely thoroughly on God and his promises Our faith is seen in how we respond to everyday events. Responding to them with the word of God as our grid for interpretation. Our faith is seen in what names we give to our children. Our faith is seen in our faithful uh, faithful attendance at corporate worship. Our faith is seen in how we spend our time, as we'll hear tonight. Our drawing near to God must be seen in the faith that we exhibit every day. This verse is a concrete expression of a living faith. The man called his wife's name Eve, life, because she was the mother of all living. She was to become the mother of all living. This was not a possibility. Eve might become the mother of all living. Or it, it, it's, it's, it's maybe, it's, it's a maybe. It, it's kind of an iffy proposition. No, she was the mother of all living, for God has declared it as such. And has seen to it that it has come to pass. Our faith is grounded upon that which is truth. We must believe what God says. Faith is foundational to life. It doesn't mean we live in denial about what we face. We see sin. We know it in our own hearts. But we know that we will be more by God's grace. And the world will be restored by God's grace. And close with an illustration that helps us considered this matter of faith. It's a story of the life of the missionaries Robert and Mary Moffat. They labored in Botswana for 10 years and there wasn't a single convert. There didn't even appear to be any interest in the people there. And the mission board came to, to, to them, to the Moffats, and they said, 
we, we think you're going to need to shut this down, this mission work down, because there's just not, there's just nothing here. There, there's no, this is hard ground. And they were devastated by the thought of leaving their mission, the, the mission field where they believed God had brought them. And they were grieved. They were sure that they felt the Lord in their labors and they knew they would see people come to Christ in due time. So they stayed for another two years and still nothing. Darkness seemed to reign. One day a friend in England sent word to the Moffats that she wanted to mail them a gift and ask what they would like. Trusting that in time the Lord would bless their work, Mrs. Moffat replied, send us a communion set. I am sure it will soon be needed. God honored that dear woman's faith. The story is told of how a group of six converts came to faith and formed the first Christian church in that land. The communion set from England was delayed in the mail, but on the very day before the first commemoration of Lord's Supper in Botswana, the set arrived. There's a lot of pieces in there I'd love to just to, to, to talk about, but, but it is this. God often wakes, makes us to wait. His timing is just at the right time. But he also wants us to live in faith, confident that he can and that he will do what he promises if we would but trust him for the results and be faithful. There's little to hold on to for these individuals. There was no sign of coming conversion, but they held on to the truth that God's word and his spirit are powerful. The gospel is the power of God unto the salvation of those who believe. So they pressed on and they saw the promise of God realized. That's what we must strive for, what we must believe. God will show himself in small ways in our daily living. If we are looking with eyes of faith, we believe that one day the glories of his promise for life in the fullest measure will be realized in our Savior's coming. It's only, it's only ours to believe and live in the light of that life-giving word. And that's what God calls us to, even in, even in such, such heavy consequences of sin as we see this morning in the life of Adam and Eve, that faith that says, no, there is life and he will come. May God help us to live in that hope. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, faith of our ancestors that remind us again of your uh, gift that you give and that give a, a, a field, a stage upon which you can fulfill your promises. We know that life has hardships. It is not easy. But we know also that you've promised to increase our faith as we acknowledge that we are weak. For when we are weak, then we are strong. Oh Lord, may we see how foundational faith is. And may you hold on to us even as your spirit works in us to increasingly Walk by faith and not by sight. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.